Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I'm your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. I'm super excited about today's episode because I get the chance to interview Nicole Bitnarovich, the director and co-founder of the nonprofit organization Clubfoot Cares. I'm super stoked about this interview because Clubfoot Cares is one of the best U.S.-based resources for Clubfoot parents. I honestly still have their website saved on my phone as a reference for when I have a Clubfoot question, and I frequently used it as a reference when writing my book, Clubfoot Chronicles, but also just as a Clubfoot mom who was starting out with absolutely zero knowledge of what Clubfoot was. So to have the opportunity to talk to one of the moms who co-founded the organization is just super exciting for me. She is a fellow Clubfoot mom herself, and so she has that direct Clubfoot parent experience as well as a substantial understanding of not only the parent Clubfoot community, but also the medical aspects of the Clubfoot community. So I'm so excited. Thank you. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm going to start crying before I even started. (laughs) I'm super excited. You have no idea. I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm a fangirl, you know, like this isn't reality. Like I'm actually talking to somebody that super impacted my, not only my life, but my child's life. So I'm so happy that you're here and that I get to talk to you and that all the listeners get to hear from you. I think it'll be great. And they'll really love it. No pressure at all. (laughs) No, no pressure. It just, just be you. It'll be good. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So why don't we just start with, I start with this question with everybody. Just like, tell us about your cuties clubfoot treatment journey and like your experience as a clubfoot parent so far. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it started at my 20 week anatomy scan. Um, I think that was kind of the pivotal moment where I realized that my life was going to be completely shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we went in thinking everything was going to be fine. The pregnancy was healthy up until that point. And then, um, you know, the, the nurse was like kind of spending a lot of time on it, on, on his feet. And I was like, looking at the picture, I was like, it looks weird. (laughs) Like his feet look weird. And, you know, not having any sort of background in any sort of like medical background, I was like, what's going on? And she's like, we'll bring the doctor in and and she can talk to you. Um, And so, yeah, they came in, they said, you know, he's bilateral club foot. um, And they kind of did a very high level, like it's treatable. Um, It also might be connected to some genetic conditions. So we do suggest you come in for some genetic screening. Um, and yeah, I left the hospital. I was in uh, Manhattan. I just left the hospital crying. I had to call my work and and let them know I wouldn't be in that day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just kind of mourned my future as a parent. I know that sounds really strange, but you know, there's little things that you think about when you're, when you're pregnant, where you're like, oh, he's going to wear these cute little booties on his feet. And like, he's, I'm going to be able to wear him in like his carrier and all that, that kind of like dissolved in front of me. And I just felt robbed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so after I had gotten through that initial disbelief, I just started, you know, the next stage where I was just denying it. I was like, okay, he's going to be, it's going to be quick. We're going to be done. Um, And by the time he's four, he's not going to remember it. And we're going to be done like with racing. And and it's just going to be this weird blip that never Mm -hmm. happened. Um, And so, you know, we started getting treatment when he was a week old. Um, It did not go according to plan. Mm -hmm. Um, We had to, uh, to see a specialist because his feet were made uh, complex by the doctor that we were seeing. Mm. And so uh, we, we transferred our care to Dr. Marquende in Iowa. And for some reason, um, with all of this happening, you know, I remember being in Iowa and talking to my husband and being like, how did we get here? How mm. did this happen? This wasn't the mm. way it was supposed to happen. And I started talking to other parents and I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm not alone. Like, how Mm -hmm. is this happening in the United States? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of, that's the the Clubfoot story that really initiated Clubfoot Cares. Um, Mm -hmm. We, I had, I had talked to two other moms and we're like, let's stop this from happening. And Mm -hmm. where does that happen? You start with the parents, you educate the parents, Mm -hmm. the more parents are educated about the Ponsetti method, the more questions they're going to ask. 
the mm. doctor when they're doing the, getting the care. Um, yeah, and that's that's where we got. Wow, that's like a lot, a lot in a very like condensed story. <laughs> and I feel like I could have added so many more details <laughs> to that, but I that's that's pretty much the the two minute. Yeah, the rundown. I like yeah. it. Um, I think I can definitely relate to that aspect of like the grief process of like, of what you thought was going to be. It's like the grieving of your expectations of what that baby and the, the experience of having a baby was going to be like, and the unknown, like, I don't know what this is going to be, but then like the false sense of like, okay, we'll figure it out. Well, it's going to be okay. It's fixable. Like, and I still feel a lot of that, but, um, I do relate to the fact that I think a lot of parents don't have that experience and they think they go into it with this, like, it'll work out. It's all just going to work out. And I think there's also just needs to be a lot of education about advocacy for your kids. And that's one of the great things about the Clubfoot Cares website. And that I really always appreciated was that there's like tips about the red flags that you're supposed to watch out for in a non-scary way, but just like a very educational way. And then also like the consultation questions, like what questions should you be asking your doctor before you even start treatment with that doctor? I think that's where it like starts is going like, okay, I need to educate myself on this process so that then I know what to look for. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I think we're really taught to like trust our doctors a hundred percent. They have the yeah. best interest out for us. And that is true for a lot of doctors, but mm-hmm. you know, no one is going to care about your kid more than you. Like at the yeah. end of the day, that is your everything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to create this dichotomy between like doctors and patients, but a good doctor is not going to care that you're asking questions. It's, they're yeah. going to be happy that you you care that you're asking them. And so we never want parents to feel like they're not allowed to ask questions. Right. And that's why we really created that, that template to just, you know, start the ball moving, you know? Yeah. Um, but but it's so overwhelming when you're diagnosed, when like, especially if you have no experience with it, and then you're coming in and you're trying to research the information about it, you're trying to learn, but not freak out so much. And so then the concrete of like, here are some questions to ask, right? Was so helpful. I think I went into our casting doctor. I think I had a list of like a hundred questions. Like it was insane. Like it was like bullet pointed into different sections. And honestly, it was, you know, there was still at the end of the day, cause we switched doctors as well. Um, but but there was still like one answer to one question that always just stood out in my mind. And I was like, out of all those 75 questions, it was that one that gave me pause. And in the end, it's the pause that ended. The answer to that question is why we switched doctors. Yeah. So. And, and totally fair. I was the flip side of that. I mm-hmm. didn't want to ask questions because I, I didn't, you know, it was that kind of like coping mechanism where mm-hmm. I was just like, if you don't make a big fuss out of it, it won't be yeah. a big fuss. And, and, you know, in hindsight, man, Mm -hmm. I look back and I think of all the red flags that my own childcare was, was participating, it was getting. Mm. And I'm like, man, I could have avoided that. I could have not let that happen. And I think that that was another instigator for why Clubfoot Cares Mm -hmm. became what it is now in that resource. Um, So, so yeah, but you know, it's really funny kind of talking back to, um, feeling like you were robbed, right. Of, of Mm -hmm. that, especially like somebody who had, this is their first child. He was Mm -hmm. my first child. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's really interesting how much my perspective has shifted because it was almost as though I was pulling back so hard and trying to control the situation so much that the universe kind of just laughed at me and was like, actually, this is going to be a really big part of your life for the rest of forever. Like be okay with that. And, you know, the people that I have met in this Mm -hmm. process, my God, are the best people I have ever met in my life. Like they are the most resilient, kind, loving people. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity. Um, You know, I'm actually like, I talk to people who are in Europe who have clubfoot kids, like people in Mm -hmm. Canada, people in Asia. And it's like, I would never have this network. 
Um, and I do have a a couple of parents that email me from time to, actually, I have a lot of parents emailing me all the time. I'm Mm -hmm. for anyone who's listening. I'm so sorry if I'm not responding to your emails, (laughs) I am drowning in my life. Um, but you know, sometimes I'll get these new parents and, and they're scared. Um, and one of the first things I say to them is welcome to the club foot club, like welcome to our community. It's, it's a lot less scary than I think you think it is. Right. Um, yeah. So, so being that kind of like virtual hug for them is is what I really aspire to be. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's one of the beauty of this, like the Clubfoot community is like a real community. And I think it started that way, like from the parents that really pushed for the Ponsetti method to be what it is today. Like those parents kind of paved the way for all of us. And I talk about that kind of in the afterword of the book of just going like, and now how do we all pave it, pay it forward to everybody else? Like, how are we, what are we going to do for the next generation of Clubfoot parents and not just kids, but parents, because the parents need so much of that support. And I agree with you. I just think it's an incredible community that we, you know, that yeah. our kids were born into us into, and then we were thrust into because of that, you know? Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, what's really cool about it. And and my son has the opportunity to use his adversity to really teach kids about adversity and what it feels like to overcome issues, Mm -hmm. um, especially with physical disabilities. And um, yeah. And, and speaking to those parents who started this back in the early two thousands, I, I cannot even repay them enough. Like they are the pioneers that I, I look up to in such an intense way. Um, so, so just, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even thank them enough. I know. I don't know what I would do. I think about that all the time. Like, I don't know what I would do if Dr. Ponsetti wasn't Dr. Ponsetti, right? Like yeah. if he didn't live the way his life was and how he pushed so hard and then without those parents, like, I just am so grateful for that all the time. And I, I don't think I would have ever had that experience, but I do think club foot treatment and diagnosis really can push you towards that expectation of like, get ready. Your expectations for your kids are never going to be met to the state, to the standard that you think they are. So this club foot is the same thing. It just is a bigger example of that, of like, okay, well, this is what I thought. And this is actually going to be way different than what you thought it was going to be. And you're going to have to be flexible and resilient. And while I think my daughter is all of those things, I also have learned so much more about myself and my own resilience and my own, like, okay, I'm pushing myself and my personal growth through the journey has just been so substantial. Yeah. 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 Right. It's like you learn I, and like you, you learn more about yourself in this sort of um, situation than you would have just as being a, like, you know, air quote, regular yeah. parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely trying to, to make lemons out of lemonade every day. Um, right. And, right. and remember, you know, it, and I, we had just talked about this prior to, to jumping on here is, you know, we think that once we get into the bracing phase, we're like in the clear, right? Right. But like, there's a whole extra layer of what goes into all of the things that happen at that, you know, my son is almost six years old, and we just decided to discontinue his bracing. And I am still like, so on him to do his stretches every night. And it's like, it's like, it's a non-negotiable. Like yeah. I, I will give in and let him have ice cream for dinner every once in a while. Cause I'm tired, but the, the stretching, yeah. the stretching happens. Yeah. Whether you're ready for it or not, it happens. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just going to be how he is until he, uh, until he's done growing. So, yeah, um, I totally agree. And I think, well, congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah. I can't even imagine like it's, it's so it's been so long our daughter's three and a half so it's like we're kind of near the end but we're also like I can't believe how far we've come like it's just this is part of her life like I don't even know I don't even know how she's going to respond when she doesn't have to wear them anymore yeah well that's how it was with us too because like you know we were approaching four and Uh then you know new new research was showing that like actually bracing till five is much more effective there's Uh like lower there's like a pretty steep uh decline in in uh, relapse rates 
um, or just considerable. And so we decided to keep pushing him until five. And then once we made it to five, we're like, well, we've come this far and he's still tolerating it. So like, let's just keep going a little longer. Um, and yeah, we made it to, to almost six. And then he kind of had this, this, like, I, I think I'm done with my brace now. Like, I think I want to just continue with stretching. And it was a conversation that we had with him. Mm -hmm. Um, he was never one of those kids that like tried to undo his, his buckles in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Like we never had to fight him getting his his brace on. So, um, so we were really fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's true. Um, For sure. I I mean, knock on wood. I mean, she's three and a half, but we've never, (laughs) yeah, I feel very fortunate about that too. That's interesting that you like had that conversation with him because he's old enough to really have that. Yeah, well, it was always kind of an open conversation with him. Mm-hmm. It was always like, um, we don't sugarcoat much with our kids. And so mm-hmm. with him, you know, I remember when he was probably like three and a half or four-ish, he was kind of getting a little like unruly with the brace. And mm-hmm. we're like, we do this because we want your feet to stay straight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we discontinue the brace now, the chances of you relapsing and having to go back into cast, they're higher. And we just had that really like heart to heart conversation with him. And he's a rational enough kid where he's like, okay, I understand the long-term consequences. I yeah. get that not all four or five right. year olds are like yeah. that. Right. Um, but we, we were just really fortunate in that sense. Yeah. Well, what do you think has been the most difficult part of the clubfoot treatment journey for you so far? Um, wow. So there's so many different parts that were difficult in their own unique ways. Okay. Um, I would say probably the initial casting Mm -hmm. was probably the hardest for me because of the fact that, you know, I was, it was postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still kind of recovering from the birth. Um, and we had to go in for those weekly casts. Um, and, and his treatment was just not progressing the way it should have been. Um, and so, you know, I was very much in survival mode for those first like four months. Um, and I remember there was a time, um, around when he was just done with his casting and he was starting his 23 hour boot where I just had like a mental collapse. I just started mm-hmm. crying and I was like the trauma of experiencing those first four months finally yeah. hit me in like a tidal wave. Um, and there's one, um, we had initially opted to do the tenotomy in, um, just the office. And our doctor uh, came out and let us know that he was able to do one foot in the office, but the other foot he wasn't confident about. We had to do it in the OR. Um, So that was a red flag for me that I should have acknowledged at that moment. Um, But... I was just in, I was just in survival mode. So I was just like, whatever you need to do. Right. Right. Um, and so we, he had to do the OR, um, having a two month old baby coming out of the OR is something that I never want to experience again. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there are a lot of parents who are probably listening to this, who did opt to do that. And that's totally a personal decision, but it was a lot for me. And when I Mm -hmm. look back at the photos of me holding him post-op, I was, and just hearing his like raspy voice after the surgery, I was just, it's yeah. just, it's, it's very traumatic to think back to. So that was definitely the hardest part, um, yeah. for me, uh, okay. which I haven't actually thought about in, in many moons. So, um, <laughs> now I'm like crying again. <laughs> right. And I think the, t- I think the tenotomy can be really, you know, I don't call it surgery because that for us, it wasn't surgery because there wasn't like surgery entails going, being put under and our daughter wasn't. But our daughter had like, we were in the room with her and yeah, it was, you know, and all she had was literally just like numbing cream on the back of her heel. There was no like local injection. And I just, that it was definitely a traumatic point. And I think it's really traumatic for a lot of parents. I think it's really difficult because it's whether you're going under, you're going fully under and you're not present, but then they're coming out of the or like you said, or you're present, or you just are close enough to hear. And it's just, yeah, it's. Yeah. And we, we actually, so we had his right foot in, it was a procedure. Um, 
which we call it the procedure because it was actually not in the OR. Um, right. And then his left foot, we considered a surgery because it was in the, yeah. in the OR. Right. Um, and then when we went to get um, secondary care with another doctor, we had to do um, a repeat tenotomy on his mm-hmm. left foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we opted to do that just in the, in the room. And, um, my husband stayed in the room with him mm-hmm. and they were like feeding him sugar water while he was yeah. getting it done. And he yeah. actually didn't cry during yeah. that tenotomy, um, which you know, I wasn't in there <laughs> because yeah. I was like, this is going to be too much for me. But the fact that like, he didn't cry through that, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I wish this would have been the experience that I had. Right. And then it pushes you to like do the education for other parents as I'm like, okay, this was my experience. And like, you can, it can be different than what you are experiencing. So just know that there are options out there, but you got to ask about it and you have to advocate for, because otherwise they're just going to do what they want, (laughs) what they want. And that makes it hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very, it is a very much a personal choice and the parents need to be the ones to be able to make that decision. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have the benefit of having experienced both. Um, so I do know what, you know, when parents come to me and they're like, what is your opinion? I'm like, I obviously have an opinion towards one over the other because I, I experienced both of them and one was very traumatic for me. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, you should never judge somebody based on their decisions to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. It's a personal thing. Well, have there been any like standout positive moments through Clubfoot treatment so far? Like a thing that you're like, wow, that was better than I thought, or just even growth. You know what I'm saying? Like something where you felt like that was different. Yeah. So, I mean, besides just the person who I have become because Mm -hmm. of this adversity um, and the person that my son has become, I think one of the biggest things for me is just how, um, how much my son is like open with talking about his clubfoot. So like mm-hmm. um, the organization in um, Europe that, that um, we've partnered with, they, um, they were called the clubfoot EU. I think we're now expanding to clubfoot worldwide, um, but they sent me like a little teddy bear and it had uh, the boot and bar on the bottom of the yeah. teddy bear. Yeah. And my son took him to, uh, to show and tell um, at yeah. school. And he wow. was like, this teddy bear has clubfoot just like me. And mm. like my feet were crooked when I was born and now they're straight and I can run and like all of these things. And I think just having that perspective where, you know, if he sees somebody in a wheelchair, it's like, oh, okay. Like they're in a wheelchair. It's not anything to stare at or gawk at. It's just mm-hmm. their own adversity that they're experiencing. And mm-hmm. like to have that sort of lens, I would have never have had that lens. Like yeah. if he hadn't been born like that, he would have never had that lens. I wouldn't right. even thought of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the highlight. I wouldn't say there's anything super fun about like the bracing. Um, but yeah, I think that it's just a learning experience. Yeah. The, the everything from the casting to the bracing has just been a learning experience. Um, yeah. but to be honest, doing it for almost six years, there's literally like, I can't even believe how, not how easy it's been, but like, you don't even think about it towards the end of it. It's just part of the nighttime routine. It's just routine. Yep. And I think saying that to parents who are just starting, like, I remember people saying that to me and being like, or reading it on the social media pages or anything and being like, okay, there's like no way I'm ever, or when we first transitioned to 23 hours, I was like, okay, this is never going to be calm. Like I'm never going to get to the point where this doesn't feel difficult, but like three years in now I'm like, Oh yeah, this is just, I can't even imagine what it would be like to not put like we're, we're, we've been diligent the whole time with her whenever she's in her sleep spot. So like, she's still napping all the time and she's still wearing it, even though she doesn't have to, for that time frame. it's a consistency piece for us. Like when she's sleeping, she doesn't sleep in her bed or, or in her crib or wherever she was mainly sleeping without it on. Because for me, I was like, how am I ever going to explain to her nap? And what's the difference between night and nap? And I know parents make different decisions and, you know, if it works for your kid, but for her, and I think for myself, I was just like, I have to maintain, it has to be all or 
it has to be very black or white for me, you know? Yeah. And it's also like an association thing. It's yeah. like boots are on, I'm going to sleep. Right. Um, there was a period of time, my son, I, I totally forgot about this, but I think he was probably like one and a half, two-ish. Um, he wouldn't sleep without his boots. Like yeah. he, it was almost kind of became like his comfort item yeah. that he associated sleeping with. And so um, that was, that was actually a really good time in, in the bracing experience. Yeah. I think. Just knowing that he had that and one of the biggest concerns I actually had as a parent was how is he going to learn to be potty trained? How is he going to potty train with that? And, Mm -hmm. you know, he just, you know, in the middle of the night, he, if he has to go to the bathroom, he just calls for us and we help him. And it's literally not any big, I know, you know, to do for us, but most of the nights he just sleeps through the night and he doesn't have to go pee in the middle of the night. So it doesn't even matter. Um, I mean that we're in the same boat with ours. And I think I wasn't ever really concerned about it. Cause I was just like, well, if she wears a pull up at night until she's like five, like my oldest, oh, um, <laughs> she, she, like did, she struggled, she struggled a little bit. And so she was, um, so I was used to that, but then for her, it's like, honestly, she just sleeps through the night. She doesn't have any issue whatsoever getting up in the middle of the night. And so I think those things that you think about and you, you know, kind of project this anxiety onto that maybe wait until you get there and then worry about it, which I'm not good at. Like I'm a total future tripper. So I'm going to worry about it beforehand. So, oh yeah, I'm going to worry about college like tomorrow yeah. just because yeah. I'm like, what is going to happen? No. Um, that, oh, that was another thing that I worried about too, is like, how am I going to get out of town and leave my kids with like a family member or friend yeah. if they're not knowing how to put their boots on, you know? Mm-hmm. And the way to solve that problem was really easy. I just taught my sister-in-law how to put on his boots and yeah. the problem solved. It was like such a thing that spent, that took up so much of my mental space that in the end was literally like a five minute tutorial on putting on the boots. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit? I know you talked to, we talked about this a little bit already, but like, tell us the backstory of like, what motivated you to start Clubfoot Cares? Yeah. So, so like I had mentioned, um, you know, uh, we, uh, I went into this process really thinking this was going to be a quick, I'm not even going to think about it. It's not going to be real. I didn't actually start. um, I didn't go on to any of the support groups until my son was like two months old. Um, because I was in utter denial. Um, I was like, if I don't think about it, it's not a problem and it's not there and it's not, you know, going to consume any part of my life. Um, and so I remember I had posted like a picture of my son's feet on one of the the mom groups. And I was like, look at my son's done with his casting. He's going to his boots and bar, like, yay, celebrate thinking that they would, you know, celebrate with me. And then a bunch of moms just joined in they're all like your son has rocker bottom like Mm -hmm. your son's feet are complex and I my heart just dropped because I knew I knew in my heart of hearts that his feet didn't look normal but Mm -hmm. our doctor had said you know that's just what normal club feet look like they're a little like chunky um and so I I went back to our doctor and I was like hey like he's got rocker bottom and and the doctor kind of acknowledged it and I was like He's like, I can fix it, but it'll involve like more surgery. And so I was like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. And so I was in, um, I was in the elevator calling, uh, Dr. Marquende in Iowa, like by the time I got to the street Yeah. and we had some, uh, we had an appointment set up. And so we flew out to Iowa and, um, I just remember driving, um, to the hospital to, to see Dr. Merquende. And, um, I was texting two other moms that were, um, kind of helping me through the process that I had met on that support group, mm-hmm. um, which are Ali Deutsch and, um, Jen all who are my two co-founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, we were kind of like amped up. We're like, how can we fix this? What can yeah. we do? And, right. and we're like, let's start a nonprofit. Um, mm-hmm. so that other moms don't, or, you know, moms, dads, parents, caretakers don't encounter what we encountered. Mm-hmm. And, um, by the time that I got back from Iowa, we really just started like coming up with, you know, all of like how we were going to incorporate what we were going to do, what our mission was. And, um, we ended up incorporating, uh, that November. Wow. Um, so about four, 
four or five months later. Um, and that's, that's the journey. And, and, and every time I meet a new parent, I have a lot of parents emailing me just being like, yeah. what do I do? Like what happens next? I'm just like, I have spent hundreds of hours talking to parents, whether wow. it be through email, phone calls, like Zooms. I'm always talking to parents because mm-hmm. I never want them to feel that sort of like gut wrenching, mm-hmm. like I screwed up sort of pain. And so mm-hmm. that's really what we're hoping is through the advocacy, through the awareness, through the education, parents can really avoid that before it becomes a problem. Yeah. I think it's such a great mission. So why a nonprofit instead of another Facebook group or a different, what, what was the motivation, like a separate thing than kind of the forums that already exist? Yeah. um, Impact. Mm -hmm. Um, Nonprofits have much of much more, uh, much wider of a reach than club, uh, than Facebook groups. Facebook groups are kind of, um, you know, niche, the people who are joining them are people who are affected by Clubfoot. And one of the things that we really wanted to accomplish with Clubfoot Cares is we wanted to educate the general public. Um, We really wanted the the general public to get out there and start talking about Clubfoot. You think about um, Smile Train, right? Someone says like Smile Train and most people associate that with Clef Palette or Clef Lift. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to be that face for Clubfoot in the United States because what we encountered, what I encountered when I was telling people, my family members, that my mm-hmm. son was diagnosed with Clubfoot, mm-hmm. they were like, Clubfoot, like that. I thought that that only existed in developing countries, which is like so beyond like comprehension. I can't believe, you know, people were telling me that, but like, You know, it is this invisible disability that people don't actually understand in the United States. It's still like, you know, improper care is still happening in the United States. Yeah. Um, And so, so yeah, that's the biggest reason is we really Mm -hmm. just wanted to reach more of the general public, um, which is something that I hope we accomplish more of in the future um, when we have more volunteers and, and more opportunities that way. That leads well into my next question is like, what do you see? Like, where do you see this going moving forward? Like, what are your big goals for Clubfoot Cares? Oh my gosh, I have so many of them, um, <laughs> which is the problem. Um, so a couple years ago, we took on uh, the Clubfoot Food Exchange because yeah. the volunteer who was operating that was actually one of our volunteers. She's one of the, the uh, co-founding members of, of Clubfoot Cares, um, Jill Harold. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she was like letting us know, like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't Mm -hmm. like keep doing this, this one person stuff. So we actually took it on, um, in a way of saying like, you know, financially we can now support this, this group. We can send out these boots for free before we were having people pay for shipping. Now it's completely free. Um, and we're also able to provide tax donation or, uh, tax deductible receipts. There we go. Um, to people who donate, um, it incentivizes people to donate to us. Um, that being said, this wasn't really one of the things that we really thought we were going to be doing Mm. much of when we started Clubfoot Cares, because we were more interested in the advocacy and the awareness and stuff. So, um, some of the big things that we really want to do is just get more out there into the general public and educate Mm -hmm. the general public on Clubfoot care or on Clubfoot. Mm-hmm. And um, we also are partnering up with international organizations to kind of think about what it would look like if we were to have um, like clubfoot clinics in the United States yeah. um, so that families can go see highly skilled practitioners mm-hmm. who are going to fix clubfoot because, you know, we had talked about this prior to jumping on a lot of the clubfoot practitioners in the United States are actually not clubfoot practitioners. They're orthopedic surgeons who have like clubfoot clinic maybe once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, Some regions, especially rural regions are only seeing like one or two clubfoot kids, maybe a week. Maybe, maybe. Um, Yeah. yeah, So you're not getting that sort of quality care that maybe a clinic could really provide. Um, Mm -hmm. And that that's kind of like our North star. That being said, I'm a full-time working mom. So yeah. the chances of us getting to that point without having more volunteers, without having like 
just more input from the community, it's going to be really hard. Um, you know, I, I really want somebody to come help me with my social media because I'm just never on social media. I'm so busy. Um, and I, I want to be more there for the community that we're servicing. Yeah. So how do people then like, let's say people listening are like, Oh, I would, I'm, I'm great at social media. I could totally do this. How do people get in contact with you to help support your goals and missions moving forward? Yeah. So we, um, anyone who, who wants to, to do anything like literally email me. Yeah. Um, my email is Nicole at clubfootcares.org. And, um, I had actually a parent just email me yesterday and was like, Hey, I'm really good at bookkeeping. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wonderful because like, I need help with that. And so pretty much okay. anyone who emails me, if they have an idea of what they're good at, what they like to do, oh my God, they can just take it, take it from me. Um, because it's very much an all hands on deck situation. I have two other volunteers that help with the boot exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful, wonderful human beings, um, Cindy and Heather. Um, they are literally, I, I, I tell them every time I talk to them, I'm so grateful for you because they yeah. are volunteering their time right. to literally send boots to these families without anything in return. It's just mm-hmm. out of the kindness of their hearts. And like that I'm, is just such a rare gift to have. Um, yeah. and they've been with me for over a year and a half, I believe. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of parents out there who want to, especially when they've gotten out of this acute crisis sort of situation, um, that want to help. And I think they just don't know where to start or like how to be valuable or to, get their story. And part of my thing is just about even sharing your stories. Like let's like communicating what your experience is, sharing your experience. And that doesn't have to be on social media. It could be on whatever platform that you think would help reach other people. Yeah. The power of your voice is more than, than I could ever ask for, because, you know, I've had uh, parents, that have um, done like interviews with their local newspapers. Yeah. That to me is like, even though they're not volunteering with Club Foot Cares, that to me is so pivotal because they are getting the word Club Foot in the mouths of other people. Right. Um, We have recently had a couple like celebrities come out and admit like that they were born with Club Foot and like just kind of putting that into the public public's eye. So important for the future of our kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when I went to, um, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but when I was getting my son recasted in Iowa, mm-hmm. um, I remember taking him to the grocery store and being mm-hmm. so like, oh my God, I, he's wearing his cast. I don't want anybody to say anything. And like the, the woman who was um, checking me out was like, oh, like, oh, are you, are you over at uh, U of I, like the hospital over there? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And she's like, oh, like clubfoot, right? And I just started crying, like in the Mm -hmm. grocery store, because, you know, having my son in another area where there isn't a lot of awareness around clubfoot, people used to ask the rudest questions, like, oh, did you drop your baby? Or, oh, did, you know, did you get a little like rough with your baby? Because it's like full leg casts, right? Yeah, yeah. Having this woman just acknowledge, like, oh, yeah, like he's got clubfoot. Like it was no yeah. big deal. It's yeah. just, yeah. that's what I want to happen across the entire country. I want yeah. a mother to take her kid into the grocery store and somebody just be like, oh, clubfoot. Yeah. Like, no big deal. Yeah. I think I recently saw something on a, um, a Facebook group where they talked about like how important it is to be that person to somebody else. Like that connection that you can make with other clubfoot parents and like, oh man, like, I'll never forget a woman came up to me and said, oh, like, oh, it's uh, my son was like that. And this, you know, so those connections that you make. And I think what you're saying about the clubfoot and just making it more present is that clubfoot is if it's fixed and it's treatable, it's done before the child really has any like formidable knowledge of what's happening. And then it falls on the parents for the advocacy, too, because it's an unseen birth defect that's fixed before the child even has, you know, I mean, fingers crossed, right. 
before the child even really has the ability to explain that and to go, oh, this, I was born with club feet, right? So I think it's this thing that's treated so young that then it gets overlooked when in reality, it's like one of the most common birth defects. Yeah. More common than cleft cleft lip and cleft palate, right? But you, there isn't a visible thing that you can see in club foot, right? Um, Unless you're looking for it, unless you're a parent that's experienced and you're like, oh yeah, that looks, I I noticed that. But, you know, I think that's a part of why it kind of goes under the radar and people don't hear about it as much because of that reason. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you said that because I remember I had one of my friends over um, when Casper was really little and I was like, um, it, it was my friend and his mom. Mm-hmm. And his mom was, you know, my son was in his cast at the time. And um, his mom was like, oh, yeah, like, uh, my, my son had that too. And like, my friend turned to him and her and she was he was like, what do you mean I had that? And she's like, you were born with clubfoot. Yeah. And it's like, to have that, like, like, you're just finding out that you're born with a genetic condition when you're 30 years old. Like, yeah. I feel like it's just so, so funny, almost, but like, right we were born in that generation where it was kind of like, you didn't talk about, you know, your things that you were experiencing, Mm -hmm. like when you were little, but like now I feel like we're much more open and it's something that we're just always going to talk about with our kids or I hope so at least. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's just really important is like getting the word out there. Right. I can't agree more. So this next question is kind of long and inundated. So just bear with me. Okay. So one of the reasons that I wrote my book and started this podcast and honestly do the work that I've, that I do is with the hope of creating more awareness and support for the club foot parent experience in particular, right? So as I see it, there's sometimes a gap between the medical treatment teams and the parent experience. And in my mind, it's vital to have parents buy in in order to make the treatment successful. So what do you think about that? Where, what do you think about what we can do as a clubfoot community as a whole, like medical and parents to kind of bridge that gap between what the medical experience is and the actual parent experience. And so much of clubfoot treatment is done at home by the parents. Absolutely. Um, and I might get a lot of flack from the medical community for saying this, but I, I have to say it. Um, I think medical practitioners really need to meet the parent where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to many medical professionals, we are just another patient that they see. Um, but to us, we are the only patient that exists. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I think it's really important for medical pr- practitioners to understand where we're coming from. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I've talked to some families who've encountered medical practitioners that talked about a type of surgery their child was going to get, like, it was like what he was going to have for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, they're crumbling inside hearing. Yeah. It. Um, yeah. so I think it's really important to do that. And also just to acknowledge, um, you know, check your ego at the door. Um, I think that a lot of, you know, and this is something that maybe is just a stereotype, but it is kind of proliferating through the orthopedic surgeon community is there is a lot of ego involved in surgery. And this is a non-surgical treatment. Yeah. Um, and so, so making sure that, you know, orthopedic surgeons are acknowledging the fact that this doesn't have to be done surgically. This mm-hmm. is a, a tried and true method that is effective and has long-term benefits. I've spoken to yeah. I had the the pleasure of speaking to one of Dr. Ponsetti's like original patients, like mm-hmm. this person is in his sixties and, you know, he just, he tells me, he's like, yeah, like my feet feel great. Yeah. Um, and like, then I talked to other people who had surgery as kids and their feet are not good. They do mm-hmm. not feel good. And so, you know, understanding the medical industry, not the industry, the medical professionals need to understand that this is our child's like livelihood. Um, and there are some ramifications that can come from early surgery. Yeah. Um, where we're trying to bridge that gap as like club foot cares, like we're trying to get our pamphlets into doctor's offices. 
um, so that doctors can understand like the par- the parental experience. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we're giving to parents to educate them to to have them understand what they're about to encounter to kind of temper the first initial meeting mm-hmm. uh, for both parties, right? right. Right. Um, and we do have a couple uh, doctors across the United States that do give out our brochures to to families, um, which has been really cool to kind yeah, of have those awesome. families. Yeah. Reach out to us. But it is it's a partnership at this point. Yeah. Um, and it needs yeah. it needs to be built. Um, otherwise, it's just going to crumble. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it's it's kind of one of the. I like, I wrote the book as a, for a parental support, for sure. Like that was my number one goal is to write it for the parents so that they're seen and they feel like, oh man, okay. She gets it. Like, I'm not the only one that feels this way or has experienced this, but secondary to that is this ability to help the medical community understand what a parent's experience is. And so that the better understanding and education they can have about the parent experience, then we can start to connect that and parents aren't, then you can understand why parents have issues with compliance. And then we can figure that out before it gets too late, before they give up, because they feel like whether that's because they don't understand the importance, so it's an educational piece, or they don't feel supported and they feel, or they just don't understand that like you think your kid's walking and jumping, doing everything. So that means you can discontinue use. Um, I think it's just about creating a long-term relationships with your with your patients. Like you need to understand that this is going to be a relationship long-term. It's not a one and done fix and we're out the door. Like it's years and it's formidable years. It's when parents are really struggling just with childhood in general, they're really um, hands-on. And I also think it's just about providing support resources. Like you said, like everybody should be, all the doctors, in my opinion, should be handing out Clubfoot. Like anybody that comes in should be handing out the pamphlets and being like, this is what having that available and even like OBs for when you have a diagnosis for that. And then you can go here, here's a reference point. This is where you can go. You know that they're getting, I mean, since it's such a common birth defect, you know that they're getting those. So where are you sending these people? Like they told me, don't go on the internet. Well, where am I supposed to go? How do I, I mean, I need to learn. So what am I supposed to do? You know, so having these like reference points and resources, I think is so important. Yeah. It's so funny that you, you mentioned that because I, I do remember when we did speak to a genetic counselor with, uh-huh. um, when my son was, when I was pregnant with my son and, uh, she literally opened up a book, like a textbook and just started reading from it. And I, and I, I was like, I'm paying for this session and I can go do this. I, I can, I look up this information on WebMD? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'm okay. just going to go now. Yeah. Um, right. and so, you know, I think it's important for, for doctors to do that. And I think we, as lay people, Mm -hmm. Um, we don't want to question our doctor because, you know, doctors do oftentimes have our best interest at hand and to kind of come up with to them and say, I don't really agree with what you're doing. That says, you know, that it's, it's, it's kind of a big ask for anybody. Right. Right. Um, which is definitely not the type of person I was, um, when I first had my son, um, But Mm -hmm. like, I, I learned that it's okay to ask questions. And if your Mm -hmm. doctor is not okay with you asking questions, they're not going to be a good doctor for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had, I, I've had some doctors who um, the parents have come to me and they're like, you know, I want to ask for a second opinion, but I don't want to offend my doctor. And I'm like, your doctor shouldn't be offended for asking for a second opinion. And in fact, there are actually a couple doctors in New York city where families have gone to them and have said, I'm going to get a second opinion. And they're like, please do. Like I would really actually appreciate, you know, corroborating evidence that your child needs this. Um, And that's the kind of doctor you want to have. You want that doctor who's going to be okay with having some other doctor, you know, verify or, or disqualify Mm -hmm. their, their uh, diagnoses. Um, and so I think, I think we just really need to bridge that gap. Um, and, and how, how we do that. I think it it really starts. I mean, we have practitioners that are out there that are already doing that. Um, but I think it's also really important the, the doctors who are in med school right now, the future Mm -hmm. doctors, um, 
you know, teaching them very early on that this is important, Mm -hmm. um, not just for clubfoot treatment, but for all treatment in general, especially pediatric treatment. Yeah. Um, that you right. are you're dealing with with formidable years, like you had mentioned, and also just it's a very emotional state to be in for a parent. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. So if you could go back, and if you like, well, you do do this all the time because you just said that you talk to people all the time. So what do you tell people, like clubfoot parents, when they're just learning about their child's diagnosis? So what what is it that you say to them? Oh man. Um, the first thing I always say to them is well, welcome to our community. Um, okay. you know, I, I always want them to understand, like, it's not as dire as you mm-hmm. think it is because I remember how it feels to be that dire. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just making sure that they feel that love and that support because, you know, we're all volunteers at Clubfoot Care. Yeah. We are doing this from the bottom of our hearts. We right. have no intrinsic, you know, ulterior motives that what we're doing we're doing this because we get it we've been there um and and so that's kind of what I start with my my clubfoot parents um and then the first piece of advice I always tell them is make sure that you have a good practitioner um it starts with the first cast Mm -hmm. that first cast can really make or break your case Um, I know some people are like, well, if I encounter an issue down the road, I'll just go get, you know, a second opinion. No, try not to do that. Try to just start with the best possible care. Um, Mm -hmm. it'll save you loads of headaches down the road. Yeah. And you know, from direct experience. I do know, unfortunately, Yeah. Yeah. or fortunately, because it's given me a perspective. (laughs) Fortunately for all the parents who are emailing you and asking you about it, right? Like, yeah. You get to benefit from your direct experience. Yes. Good or bad, right? Exactly. Everything happens for a reason and just happened to happen to me. So. That's right. I mean, it wouldn't be where it is today. Clubfoot Cares wouldn't be. It's true. It's very so true. It's incredible the things that are created out of this. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I definitely, I... You know, one of the, I I remember, I don't remember who I was talking to, but somebody asked me, like, you know, if you could go back and you knew that, like, this is going to be the case, like, do you Mm -hmm. think that, you know, you'd have any regrets about it? Um, I am so grateful for my son's clubfoot that even if I could go back in time and change it so that he wasn't born with clubfoot, I wouldn't have done it. Mm. Um, and I'm probably of a very small, like, you know, maybe there's a lot of parents out there who's like, what are you talking about? The chaos right. that I've encountered, like, I would completely never wish this upon my worst enemy, but like the things that have come from it for me have been transformative mm. for who yeah. I am as a person. And I would yeah. never take that back. Yeah. Um, so I would never want to change the being of who the core being of who she is, you know, like at Absolutely. the end of it, the makeup of who she is and what this means for her life, I don't think I could change it. You know, that Absolutely. doesn't mean, I think that becomes, you know, people can go, well, like you're saying you wouldn't want your kid to not, you know, you wouldn't want to keep your kid from this. And it's like, it's not about that. It's about the fact that, of course, I don't want to see my kids in pain. I don't want to see any of my kids in pain, you know, but life life doesn't exist in a bubble where pain doesn't exist and where that's not where growth happens. And so I would never want to prevent any of my kids from experiencing the things that they're meant to experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, definitely do I wish that the process was maybe a little smoother for both my son and myself? Yes. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, Clubfoot is just part of who he is as an individual. And, you know, there are a hundred thousand other pediatric conditions that he could have been born with. And like, he wasn't, and and this in the grand scheme of life, this Mm -hmm. is not that big of a deal. Um, of course, if he hadn't gotten the kind of quality care that he ended up getting, yes, it probably would have been more detrimental, but you know, my son, he has one speed. It is like turbo. He does not walk. Actually, every day I pick him up from school. My God, his teacher is like, you know, says his name. And then she's like, walk, 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 walk. Like, because he's just always running. Um, And every single time I see him running, I'm like, fortunate. I feel fortunate. That's right. There's gratitude there, which I didn't have with my older two. 
you know, I just didn't, it wasn't there. And so there is now all the time. And it's, that's incredible. Yeah, it's definitely shifted my perspective. Um, I'm also a lot more active of like an individual myself because Mm -hmm. like every morning I wake up and I'm like, I have feet that don't hurt. Um, You know, we have, unfortunately, like another thing that I want to help with the community is I want to help older people who maybe didn't have the opportunity to have the bond setting method um, because they are in a lot of pain. And I wish, oh my God, my heart breaks for them because I want to help them, but I just don't know where to start. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, it's just the gratitude that I'm in a, a point, a place of privilege where like, I have feet that don't hurt every morning I wake up and every morning I take my dog out for a walk as I'm walking. I'm like, man, I'm so fortunate to be how I am. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not something I take for granted either. Yeah. I agree with you. I always end the podcast with this last question. My, in my interviews, at least, um, is there a special moment, like one thing that stands out on your client, on your child's club, the journey that you want to share? Like one thing where you're like, oh, this is what we did. Or, I mean, you kind of already shared about your son and bringing the boot, the bear with the boots and bar. Um, I always say like, for me, it was the song Blackbird by the Beatles. And I sang that to her and I still sing it to her. I sang it to her during every casting um, cause that song just like really resonated. So for me, it was like, that was the, that's like the moment, no matter where I am forever, that song will always be that. That's so beautiful. And I love that song by the way. So good. I know. Uh, so there's kind of like a moment in time that mm-hmm. I think was kind of like a shift in my life. Um, and I'm just going to start crying when I like think about it. Um, before I had my son, I was a little bit of like a lost soul. Mm. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career. It was kind of a wanderer. Um, I was also very insecure. I didn't think that I had a voice that anybody wanted to hear. Um, and so I never really spoke up at the table and there's this one picture of me holding him while he's being casted. And it's like, I can, I could see in this picture, this, this, change that was happening in me where I was like I do have a voice and it's an important voice and it's going to be that warrior advocate for my kids forever and it just kind of snowballed into like an avalanche of like where I am as an individual um and I know it's like we're taught to be, make the story about our kids, but like, sometimes the story isn't always about our kids. Sometimes it's about us as parents. And I mm-hmm. think it's really important to not get lost in that identity. Mm-hmm. Um, because my son and this experience has taught me so much more than I could have ever learned about myself. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping as my son gets older, he has that same sort of like fire that has been started in him as a result from his club foot. Um, and you can already see it. You can already see like, you know, sometimes he gets discouraged and I'm just like, you have already done hard things. Yeah. You have done hard things from the moment that you came out of me. So like the fact that you are, are discouraged by this is Mm -hmm. just not acceptable. (laughs) Um, and so, so it's like, that narrative, that story, he's got that forever. That's his yeah. story. That's my story. That's our story. So wow. that's so powerful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's just incredible. It's, it's, it's been a long, what, six, six and a half years. Yeah. But like, think about like how much you've already like accomplished for this. I mean, it's just incredible. I'm just so grateful for everything that you've done. And well, yes, I don't want, I mean, I wish your journey was smoother, but, and like, I feel like it is what it was because it had to be that for us to get what we, what the community needed, which is the website and the organization. And I'm so grateful for everything that you've done and your co-founders and everyone that's a part of it. I think it just deserves a real debt of gratitude from the rest of the community. And I I really appreciate that because at the end of the day, as long as I am just being that platform for people to, Mm -hmm. to learn, um, you know, it's like people, I feel (laughs) 
so so many people like reach out that are like we want to make a donation which is great like I really appreciate donations because we are funding the the clubfoot food exchange right. but like to be honest with you the biggest thing that people can do is just share their stories mm. um get clubfoot on the map get clubfoot yeah. into like our local papers our local right. news stations like yeah. share your stories like I can't beg you enough to please do that because the more we share the wider reach we get. And then, you know, Club Foot Care's mission and impact is that's, that's where it is. Yeah. Um, so. I couldn't yeah. agree more. Well, thank you, Nicole, for being a guest today. I've like thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I super appreciate you taking the time and us actually making this happen because it only took us like six times to try to figure <laughs> between I, all yeah. of our kids and the schedules and the time zones. I mean, guys, it's just we're very happy we made it happen, you guys. So I, I really appreciate your patience with me, Maureen, as I have like spaced out and forgotten and overlooked time zone difference. It's just, yeah, it's no, been a wild it's, ride. It's been, it was worth the wait. So I'm very grateful that you were able to do it and that we were able to have the conversation and just telling us all about Clubfoot Cares. And I just... Thank you for your continued work to support Clubfoot parents and the community. And I just, your work is really important. And I think that everybody out there who wants to contribute, share your stories, like Nicole said. And then if you want to get in contact with her or volunteer or donate boots or whatever it is that you're looking for, you can go to the Clubfoot Cares website or you can email Nicole at Nicole at clubfootcares.org. Is it? Yes, yes. Okay. There we go. So thank you for being here, Nicole. I appreciate it, Maureen. And as always, thanks for listening. And if you found this episode helpful and enjoyed listening it, listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it, then please pay it forward, like it, subscribe it, share it with your family and friends, get that clubfoot word out there. And then if you ever need to get in contact with me, you can do through my website at marinehoff.com or my Instagram account at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom. Until next time.